If the Bible's got you chiding knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, 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 welcome everyone to the third ever live podcast recording of the Heretic Happy Hour. Let's hear it. Thank you all so much for coming out. And special thanks to the amazing Sidecar Donuts. And uh, Jason, Jason Flower, thank you so much. There he is. I hope you enjoyed the health food, the pizza, and the, and the sidecar donuts. We're really, uh, really good. We're health, very health conscious. Anyway, uh, I'm one of your three hosts. My name is Keith Giles. I'm the author of the recently released Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. <gasps> what? Hey, what? And uh, I am joined. I am joined by my uh, my co-host Jamal and Matt. Say hi. Hi guys. This is Jamal Javanji. I am the author of Free to Love published with choir in 2016. It's good to be back for our, this is actually the first time that we've ever done a third live recording. It is the first time. Yep. Right. First so time welcome, welcome everybody. It's good to have you. And I'm Matt DiStefano. Just got down here from Chico, California. Raise your hand if you know where that is. We're famous for having the party school rated in Playboy number one. That's my alma mater. So I drove down today. Um, Excited to be here. I'm the author of Heretic. You can scream Heretic if you want. Um, Heretic! Uh, also out on Choir Publishing this year, and uh, I'm so, so happy to be down here. I, I, I seriously look forward to these events so much because it's, I mean, it's fun to travel, and uh, I love coming down here and hanging out with these guys, so really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. We're pumped. We're excited. Matt we got up at 5 a.m. to drive nine hours wow. to be here. Well, I got up at 4.15 to have breakfast with my wife, and then I drove. Wow. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> well, thank you guys for being here. We're excited yeah. about this, uh, this special live podcast episode. We have a couple of words uh, from our sponsors. So I'm going to start off with the first one, the special announcement. <clears throat> hey, Alabama heretics. Keith Giles will be speaking at the Proactive Love Conference in the Birmingham, Alabama area on Saturday, September the 15th to talk about how loving our enemies changes everything. Learn more and register today at ProactiveLoveAL, that's A-L for Alabama, dot com, ProactiveLoveAL, dot com. All right. So if you, yeah, if you want to travel out to Alabama, yeah, go do it. But some people <laughs> listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah, that's you know, right. Like, that's okay, right. So. And uh, of course, as always, we're, uh, we're sponsored by Unfundamentalist Group Blog. Uh, it's a blog I used to write for, and I, I love those folks. So uh, they're a, a group blog focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. You can find them online at facebook.com slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, I, I want to make a confession, if I could. Um, I, I realize I've been doing something. There was a listener who commented, I think he commented on Facebook, but basically was kind of like upset that um, I like tend to repeat uh, this announcement. Sometimes I have this announcement because uh, I am really excited about our hotline that we have. And so like this, this listener was like, if you like keep with this spiel one more time, literally he said this. I think he was joking, but he said, I'm going to punch a baby. <laughs> If you Damn. do this one more time. That, that so I don't want any children to be hurt. Please. So I'm not going to announce that we have a hotline. I'm also not going to tell you that the number is 2403-HERESY or 2403-437-379. I'm not going to mention that because I don't want any children to be hurt. That's right. Okay, so no more announcements. All right, I'm going to change this because people are getting upset that I have this breaking news announcement every week, but it's literally the same announcement. Sometimes I just get excited, you know, about this. But with that, with that said, um, we do have a... Uh, hey, do you guys know that we... Like, you have the ability to send text messages into this hotline. Like, it's not like the old days where, like, operators had to be standing by. And, you know, like, you can actually text. Wow. So we can receive text to the hotline. It's amazing what we can do with technology these days. So um, can we queue up the text to our engineer? Oh, let's oh, do the voicemail. Voice let's go to the voicemail yeah, first. Yeah, queue up the voicemail. Hey, guys. I just wanted to say great job on the podcast. And... 
Go Wolverines. <laughs> That's horrendous. <laughs> no, we should have a rule. By the way, in, in case, I think I know who did that. You know, I think I know who did that. By the way, um, Wolverines stand for the Michigan, University of Michigan Wolverines. It's not the which, X-Men? You sure it's not the X-Men? No. no okay. No. And, and. And they are, they, you know, I'm a huge Buckeye fan. I despise Michigan. No, no kidding. So somebody's trying to rub it in my face. But uh, anyway, so um, we can like delete those voicemails if we get those in the future. We know? can edit that out of the recording, right? I mean, sure, we can edit that out, yeah, in post. Yeah. But we, we, also, we also have a text that came in. All right, here's the, here's the text, okay? This is from a listener. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, um, Good afternoon, my fellow heretics. I was listening to episode 15, and while you were interviewing Benjamin L. Corey, the word deconstruction, and that was used in quotes, deconstruction was used again. I've been wrestling, not with the concept, but with the use of that specific word for the past several months while undergoing that process myself. I've also heard the term renovation used, not that we are pulling down uh, walls necessarily, but that the rooms need updating. But I just had another word slash phrase come to mind. Quote, a renewing of my mind. To me, that phrase has a more positive emphasis. And I probably need all the positivity I can, I can grab while undergoing this process. I'm curious if each of you have a preference for the terminology of the process. And if so, what you like to call it. Thank you for your service to all of us out here just trying to make it. Period. Unquote. So that's a great, uh, yeah, great text from a listener out there. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, what do we think? Do we have a do we have a preference for that term or another term? Uh, well, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about today. But I mean, it, I think it's without getting too much into it because we're gonna, you know, we're sure, gonna, of we're, course. That's yeah. what the episode's gonna save be it. on. Save it for the. I'll save most of it. Yeah. It. I, I think it depends on each process that we go through. Mine was like, like fucking dynamite blew up the whole shit. Like. <laughs> All of it's more, it's more than deconstructed. It's like the whole thing was leveled to the floor. Yeah. Um, which is not advisable, which is what we'll get into. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, deconstruction is kind of a loaded word. Um, but I mean, I think all labels are going to have to be nuanced depending on where you're coming from and the baggage that you have. And um, I had a lot. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I think it's going to be specific to each uh, individual situation. Yeah. Jamal, do you have a preference for the term, or does it bother you, or do you have a prefer another term? No, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I um, I understand where the where the listener is coming from when he says that it's, it's a trigger because uh, it seems negative. But to me, the religious system is negative. It's bad. Yeah, it's just bad. We got an amen. And my opinion is that it causes <laughs> a lot of problems. And so, if you live in a house, you know, sometimes there's what could be obstructing your view of the house of, of the house you want to live in is the house you're living in. So sometimes you've got to take down the house before you can see a bigger house that maybe your view is being obstructed. So I don't mind deconstruction, um, demolition. You want to call it demolition, call it demolition, <laughs> call it deconstruction, call it bulldozing, whatever, whatever you need to call it fine. But I, I think that the premise of, of tearing the thing down is sometimes you have to go through that and yeah. you can't, sugarcoat it. My opinion, this is just my opinion. I think you just have to be honest. Like it feels like demolition. Like, so deconstruction to me is even a polite word. It's like deconstructing. It's like, mm -hmm. how about just tearing the whole damn house down? Yeah. How about like just being bulldozed? Because that's how it works. Yeah. In, in my, my experience. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think you touched on something like, I, I personally, I don't really care. The term doesn't bother me at all. But, but I think though, maybe what we're saying is that I guess everybody should have permission to use the term that's that is uh, relative to their actual experience. Because for some people, it's not demolition. It's not deconstruction. For some people, maybe, very lucky people, uh, for them, it maybe is just a renovation. It's just a light coat of paint. You know, put a new, you know, put a little something over there by the divan or something. But, um, but for some of us, it is demolition. It is deconstruction. It's very painful and it is very dark. And so I think for some people, to soften that word wouldn't be accurate or fair. Whereas, in, again, on the other direction, to use a word that's really, you know, uh, violent or, or painful in that other person's case may not apply either, right? So I just, I guess we all have permission to use the, the appropriate term um, to refer to what our experience was like. And I think we should respect that. So if you're triggered by the word deconstruction, oh, that's so negative. Yeah, but dude, if that was my reality, 
then I get to tell you that it was like that, yeah. right? right? And you don't get to tell me, no, no, say something nice and happy with flowers and bunnies. No, that's not what it was. So anyway, that's my, that's my take on it. And we are going to get into this whole topic uh, of deconstruction and how it affects our lives and our relationships and things like that. That's our topic. We're not going to do that now. Um, I also have another announcement, quickly. We have a Patreon page. What? You didn't know that. Yes! So if you go to the patreon.com slash heretic happy hour, um, you can uh, support what we're doing. We've already hit our first goal, which means we're going to, uh, first goal, we're not going to make a board game. It's the heretic happy hour board game. It's called the Slippery Slope, a heretic's journey. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the style of Candyland. You start off in hell. And then you will make your way through like the perfect pastor's pasture and King James Corner and all the, it's it's a blast. We had so much fun putting this together. It's Hilarious. actually pretty fucking good. And, <laughs> and it's also educational. I can't wait for people to actually play this with their family members and, and friends. And your Bible study groups. And your pastor. Oh my gosh. Take it's it going to be so much fun, the stories. But anyway, that's coming up. Uh, we have a second goal we're hoping to hit. And, and if we hit our second goal, we want to do this weekly because right now we only do... Uh, this podcast every other week. So we'd love to do this every week. We actually are sitting on so many interviews, by the way, that we can only release to you every, you know, every other week. And so we're, we're wanting to kind of you know, increase and accelerate what we're doing. So anyway, uh, we also want to thank some of our uh, recent uh, patrons on the, uh, the Patreon page. And those are <clears throat> Erica, Joanna, Stuart Zahn, my buddy. I know Stuart. He's a good friend. Thank you, Stuart. Dominic Chiorentino, sounds like a pizza, and Victoria Bouton. So thank you guys so much for your support. I mean so much to us. By the way, we also, I'm just give this for free, we have a website, heretichappyhour.com. That's sort of our hub. So if you ever can't find the hotline or the latest podcast episode or the Patreon page or, uh, you know, any, any, oh, we even have like a, there's a drinking game. You can download a PDF of a drinking game. Which you probably uh, shouldn't play all the time because. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, some people have gotten hurt. But um, <laughs> anyway, heretichappyhour.com. Go check that out if you want to know anything about the podcast. All right. And yeah. now I think it's time for the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. And our Heretic of the Week is Michelle Collins. Come on up. Yes. little moral support. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, my fellow introvert. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right, yes. Michelle. And you drove down, right? Where do you live? You live? Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. So that's yeah. a couple hours? Uh, it's actually about an hour, but with all the traffic, it's about four. Oh, my gosh. Ouch. <laughs> well, thank you for making the drive down. Sure. Uh, Michelle is one of our admins, by the way, in the Facebook group. Did I mention we have a Facebook group? Yes, we do. <laughs> and so be nice to her because she will, uh, she'll boot you out. And the Facebook group is connected to the podcast. Is that right? Uh, I believe it is connected. Okay. Yes. Some of the people in the Facebook group have ne- don't even know we have a podcast, which is very, very yeah. aggravating and frustrating. It's become, that's why now it's become one of the three questions you must answer before we allow you to join the Facebook group. And one of them is, what's your favorite episode? Uh, and, you know, and do you listen to the podcast? But anyway, anyway, enough about that. Michelle, thank you for, for joining us. Of course. Thank you for driving down and being our heretic of the week. And we want to talk to you uh, about your process of deconstruction. Oh, boy. Right. So, <laughs> Can we do the normal intro, though? Can we say, hi, my name is Michelle. Oh, yeah, do it. That's oh, right. Yeah, right. You're right. What all do I have to say? Yeah. <laughs> Just my, my name? My name is you Michelle. Know, I'm, I'm a heretic. If you're okay. God, I don't like labels. Um, my oh, name my is God. Michelle. So <laughs> um, I guess I am a heretic. I've been called a lot of names, um, a lot of really ugly names. I've been to let somebody know what sulfur smells like because um, apparently I'm going to hell. That's a good one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can rile up some good, some good, uh, some good name calling, apparently. You can compete with, with what I've been called. I can. Is I that believe, what you're saying? I believe so, Matt, but I'm going to let you have the leads. <laughs> um, I mean, Michelle, you've been like such a good friend to me for like the last three years and I've gone to conferences with her and she's like, I mean, when I first started doing things online and being in you know, blogging and doing all that. I mean, Michelle, like when people would say shit about me, Michelle would come in like fucking mama bear and just be like, Rah! and so I, I love Michelle dearly. Um, so you. let's, um, I love so, you too. yeah, uh, it's all about love here. Um, <laughs> let's just, let's just do what we always do with, with the, um, with our guests and, and ask you, well, why do, why do some people call you a heretic? Why do some people call you those names that are so vitriolic? I don't know. I, I think, 
people have a really hard time with your process. I mean, just like you were talking about a minute ago, the idea of even the label that we give the process is a problem for some people. And, and so all those little tenets of ideas that you begin to deconstruct and that you begin to decide if they're valuable or not, I mean, some of those are people's pet things, mm-hmm. you know? And so as soon as you step on somebody's toes, immediately there's a justification response in them. And so they have to demonize you. They have to make you wrong or they themselves have to be wrong. And that ain't happening. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't go to church anymore. I got thrown out of my church. So that's the number one reason I'm a heretic. And so so you are forsaking the assembly together. Apparently. Can I I ask why? Was there there a particular Um, reason or there, There were probably a lot of reasons. Uh, Just give me one. The, the, the main one. reason, I think, is because I started questioning. And, and my big sin was asking about grace. Ah. Um, yeah, exactly. Heresy. Yell, yell it out. Heresy. Heresy. <laughs> Ironically, it was my pastor who told me I needed to learn what grace meant. And then when I did and it went beyond his understanding, I got the, the yeah, axe. Got I got the, shown the door. Um, and there was other the things that happened, but it was a big shock. He was my best friend for... 14 years. Oh, my gosh. And wow, he doesn't so. speak to me now. So over this issue, this theological issue, you, you lost a best friend yes. and a pastor and a church fellowship. And in, an entire church family. Over the issue of grace. Uh, among other things, but that was the catalyst wow. of my deconstruction. That's really sad. Yeah, it is. It is. And and honestly, it's been five years, and some days I'm still so pissed I can barely, <laughs> I can barely take a breath. And then other days I feel really sad because I think— I think that when, and I've met a lot of people and I've had a lot of contact with people now who have gone through the same process. They've been, you know, pushed away from their, their group, their, you know, their friends, their fam, even their families. Mm-hmm. And, and I think someday, I hope someday, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, I hope that the people that have done this wake up someday and go, oh my God, I've really hurt these people mm-hmm. and I need to make it better. But on the other hand, I think some of those people are going to be so devastated that they've done that, that it'll be detrimental to their mental health. And yeah. so I don't wish that on them <laughs> unless I'm having a pissed off day. <laughs> <laughs> then I wish it on them. <laughs> wow. Jamal shaking yeah. his head at me a little. Look, he's got a polite smile on his face. <laughs> No, I'm teasing you. <laughs> so, so you've already touched on a little bit um, of the stages you went through and all that. And so, like, what for you? What was the that process like? I mean, are you still going? You feel like you're still going through oh, some of those phases? And, yeah. and like, so in the beginning, what was it like? And then where and how you know how you got to where you are now? Um, I, I, the beginning was just a question for me. It was it was a question. It was a Bible verse that I had known my whole life. I had preached it because I was a preacher. I was a teacher. I was a worship leader. I wow. did anything that you needed done in the church. I did, um, and I actually am an ordained pastor. Wow. So it 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 was not shocking to me when this verse started going through my head. But after a while, I couldn't ignore it anymore. I needed to understand what it was actually saying. And so that was my question. I went to my pastor and said, I need to answer this question. What was the verse? Yeah. Um, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so my question was, how do I unbecome something that I never did anything to become in the first place? And wow. isn't the word become, doesn't that allude to the fact that you, there's a change somehow? How does one how does one come back from a change if they did nothing to make the change happen? Wow. And I honestly don't care if somebody doesn't know the answer because I don't know the answer. Um, but the response I got was, well, there's still sin. And I was like, but that wasn't the question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't even say that word. Um, and then I was told, well, if we don't understand it, we have to put it on a shelf until it makes sense. And I said, but that's what I've done all this time and it doesn't work anymore. I got to know the answer. Mm-hmm. And so I began to listen to podcasts and read books and, oh my God, listen to people outside of my church. That's dangerous. Watch out. Absolutely. And so as I began to explore and I began to ask more questions, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this or not, you ask one question, it's going to become five. Mm -hmm. That five will become 10. And and it's just an all downhill race after that. Um, And the tenets of everything you believe begin to topple one by one because there are no answers. And the problem that I had with it in my emotions was that I, I need certainty. I'm, I'm a black and white person. Um, and there is no certainty. And (laughs) so now I get to reconcile that and that's very difficult to do. Yeah. And it's, it's an emotional journey. So absolutely. Yeah. 
That's really funny that you mentioned that because um, I'm writing a book, a book with a Buddhist, my, my best friend who's a Buddhist. And I literally just wrote that certainty is, I, I, well, I don't, I don't literally know what I said because once you write, you kind of move on. <laughs> move on. But essentially I said like certainty, it's, it's like meaningless because it, it doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> and um, it's, it's hard to get to the place where you are able to relax in the tension of that paradox. Because we all need, we all feel like we need certainty. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, growing up believing in eternal torment, you need to be certain you're not going there. Otherwise, yeah. you're in like perpetual existential crisis mode all the time. Um, so it's just funny that you mentioned that because it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but certainty doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and Matt is actually the one that, I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to Matt as I went through this process because he's somewhat ahead of me. And I'm totally cool with the whole tear the Tear all the bullshit down. I I I don't need any of it. Oh, sorry. You, oh, yeah. Go, now you're don't apologize. <laughs> um, Michelle, can you could you just watch the language? Yeah, watch the language. I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the show, like I I do most of the cussing, so it's good. Okay, well, so, so I we was in traffic you, for four hours. If you weren't ready for that, so. I apologize. That side of the table, yeah, that's that side yeah. of the table. We are pretty bad down here. Um, no, but Matt told me, um, I remember having a phone conversation with him. He probably doesn't even remember it, but I was like, he told me there's going to come a day when you question the existence of God. And (laughs) yeah. And according to my upbringing, that was definitely heresy. And it scared, it scared the hell out of me, quite honestly. Um, and, and then I, I didn't believe him. I thought, no, I'm never going to get to that point. And I am at that point and, or have been there for a while. And so when I said that to him, the next bit of wisdom that he gave me was, the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's yeah. no shortcut somewhere. Yeah. There's no place that's to get a, off that, the road. That's or... a huge statement. The only way out is through. Yeah. I was just telling, I think Barrett and I were talking yeah, uh, earlier. We were just talking like the way to, if you're struggling with something or whatever it is that you're facing, a lot of times we want to medicate it mm-hmm. or go around it. But really on, to get to healing, you have to go through. Yeah. And it's the last place you want to go. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very emotional. Yeah. Um, and I know you guys have mentioned it before, but my whole contention that is that it mirrors grief cycle. It, mm-hmm. it You literally are grieving totally. a belief system or a relationship with people or with God or with all of it. You're, you're basically, you know, and depending on how you got there, like, you know, talking about the whole idea of what terminology to use, some people don't need the negative terminology because, like you said, their their experience was one where the sun came out, the birds started singing, and life just made sense. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> honestly. That's <sounds> wonderful. <laughs> doesn't it? And that? I'm sorry, but I have to roll my eyes every time right. I think that because I'm like, that, that is so not most people's experience. Yeah. And, and I'm happy for the people that that is their experience. I would not wish this on anybody. Um, but for a lot of people, they got there through anger and pain and hurt. Yep. And so, I mean, if you liken that to grief, if, if somebody close to you dies in a horrible manner, that grief is way different than if they live to old age and just close their eyes and, you know, right. go into eternity. Right. It's a whole different kind of grief. And yes. we have to allow people that process. Not only because it's none of our business mm-hmm. how other people grieve, but also because we're all different people. I mean, I love Matt to death, but he's very different than me. I mean, we're both introverted. We have some things in common, but we're very different people. You know, Jamal and I are different. Keith and I are different. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see things the same way. We're not going to handle things the same way. Yep. Right. And that's, you know, so as I'm encountering people that are going through the de- what I call the deconstruction process— I try to give them room. And if that means on some days they want to scream and holler and yell, then I should just sit there and listen and let them because they need, it's cathartic. They need to get that shit out. That's just the way I meant at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's just the process I've been dealing with. So absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. I don't, I don't remember saying all that. I, I, but. I didn't think you would, but you were very wise, and I appreciate you oh, very good. much. So. I'm, I'm glad it helped. <laughs> yeah, you, so you might have been. I mean, it's a shitty, been, yeah. it's, it's like, a, it's one of those things where, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Are you trying to be good? <laughs> no, I, 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 I vaguely remember saying that to you, like, you will come to a place where you will mm-hmm. question the existence of God. And, and for me, it was like, and this is getting back to, like, remember where people are, like you said, like, understanding people are in different places. Like, had I known that would have been, like, 
an existential crisis. I just said it flippantly, I think, like because for me it was like, uh, yeah, I got to a place where I was an atheist for a while. Um, I mean, from a from a logical standpoint, like I just was like, yeah, it seems like that's the argument, and so I just probably spewed it out there flippantly because that was my experience, but. Um, well, you never know. Saying something flippantly can still resonate with somebody else. Yeah, I guess. And, and again, I mean, I don't know that I'm an atheist. I mean, what I want to hope for is that there's a God like the God that there should be. Like, you know, like a God of love and mercy and grace and, and all of these things that is not what I've been taught my entire right. life. I, right. I want to hope that that God exists. Uh, right. Unfortunately, I'm still dealing with the emotional fallout of all the crap that was shoved down my throat right. my entire life. And, it, and it's hard to get to a place where, because I think for me, like talking about God starts with trusting God. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but trust to me doesn't have much to do with certainty. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't, I can be, I can be pretty certain two plus two is four, but trust doesn't work like that. So <laughs> it's like when we talk about God and when we, when we approach God, it's like when it comes from a place of certainty, that's just missing the point, but that's what we want. And so it's like this paradox of how do I trust something when I need certainty? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I, and a very good friend of ours actually made the comment to me that really resonated. He said, um, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is. That's right. And when I thought about it, I thought, oh, my God, that's really true. But you're taught your entire life that to doubt is incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I mean, I taught Bible studies that said that. Yeah. And I think back now, and I'm like, God, I wish there was a lot of crap I could just take back that I had never said <laughs> or wrote or spoke or, you know. And and unfortunately, I, I don't know. That's part of the process. Maybe Maybe we don't get to put enough value on what this process feels like until we've been on that other side. I mean, how do you know yeah. there's value on the other side unless you can see the difference? Right. Mm-hmm. And and so the difference between the God that I was raised with, the God that was supposedly watching me all the time and saw if I did something wrong. Santa Claus. Oh, my God. It, right. That's terribly frightening. When you grow up hearing that, you know, you're like, God only likes me because he has to because Jesus says so. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're, yeah. you kind of don't find any self-worth kind of struggle with your own identity and all of that. And so now to be on the other side and say, well, God should look like this, but now I don't even know if he exists. So who the hell am I even now? I don't even, you lose yourself somewhere in that process for a little while. Yeah. So even in the process of of this deconstruction, there is a sort of a a reconstruction Mm -hmm. eventually, hopefully on the other side. But the thing is, it's all unknown when you're starting the process. You don't know where you're going. You don't know if it's even going to be that kind of reconstruction, right? right? You're just sort of like taking it a day at a time. Right. Well, the, the whole point, I think, again, my contention that, that it mirrors gra- uh, grief, grief is subjective to the person. Deconstruction is subjective to the person, and we don't get a timeline on the process. Okay, well, right. it's been two years, so I should be at this point. Time to step two. No, right. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And and as a matter of fact, just like with grief, sometimes you revisit those cycles several times. Yes. Right. You know, before yes. you, and even once, okay, once we hit almighty acceptance in grief, in grief, Sometimes you still go back to being angry because there's triggers. Of you course. know, sometimes mm-hmm. you're still right. depressed because there's triggers. Mm-hmm. And and so allowing one another some grace and mm-hmm. mercy in that time, you know, um, I think is is the best response. Yeah. Yeah. You know? you know, Michelle, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you are honest. <laughs> that you, <laughs> to my own detriment sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, but you're very real and, and you're not going to sugarcoat how you're feeling. And, not and anymore. What, and what you're going through. Yeah. Right. And not I'm, anymore. I'm sure it's been a journey. Nobody yeah. gets there no. by accident. It, it's a process and it's a, it takes mm-hmm. intentionality. So yeah. I, but I appreciate that about you. Thank I you. noticed that about you. Um, and I know that what you're working on, you're, you're, you know, you've translated, you haven't just taken this pain and done nothing with it. You've actually, that's the beautiful thing about pain. And when you go through difficult things, it pain always births something. You know, if you're a songwriter, pain births new, new, new songs. It's a good way to look at it. Um, and if, and if you're going through deconstruction process, your pain is birthing new life and you're working on something, right? I am. Yeah. So can you talk about a little bit about what you're working on right now? And Oh my God, a ridiculously long process because as I was telling Matt earlier, I'm incredibly difficult on myself. Um, I'll tell him everything he's ever written is just the best thing I've ever read well, because Matt, I do believe that. Matt, have you written something? <laughs> we all think that. We, I, we I all do. Think that. And, I, yes. and I've enjoyed all of yeah. you guys' books. And so I have no problems <laughs> handing out those compliments. But as I'm writing on my own writing project, all I can think of is every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, my God, what a bunch of crap. <laughs> Why is anybody going to want to read this? Um, but, but it is because it's painful. It's yeah. painful to write it oh. down. It's painful to relive the process. Um, and, and it, 
I tried to stay out of the idea of what I was deconstructing and more deal with the emotion side because I feel like that is something that everybody can connect with. Mm. You know, not everybody questions hell. Some people have never had a problem with that. Um, Not everybody questions, you know, homosexuality or whatever. You know, there's a million different things we can list. Um, But almost everybody has had an emotion about something that involves that process. So that's what I'm trying to stick with. However, I've, I've started adding in some examples of my own experience and some of the things that I deconstructed as I'm talking about the different cycles of grief. Um, one of the hardest things I'm so so I didn't answer the question. I guess I'm writing a book. <laughs> You're writing a book. You're writing a book. <laughs> awesome. Sorry, that was a really long about the emotional. Um, yeah, yeah. Side the, of the psychological and emotional uh, effect of the deconstruction process and its okay. application to the grief cycle. Wow. It was originally a thesis idea for my doctorate, and then I decided I just wanted to write about it. Mm-hmm. So now I got to find something else for my doctorate. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Uh, so yeah, working through that now and working through the description of religious abuse because yeah. there's mm-hmm. yep. there's a lot of different levels. I mean, we tend to think of these really outrageous things when we talk about religious abuse, but there's a lot of very everyday yep. normal That's things right. that people yes. just allow right. to happen to themselves that they don't question. Yeah, and we act like it's normal. That we act like, oh, that's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's it's been a very painful process. Um, in, in the vein of being honest, like Jamal said, I actually started seeing a therapist to work through some of it yeah, because it got to that point that it was yeah. like, I can't get out of this process. I need some help pushing me out of this totally. process. So that's been very helpful. So I'm hoping to be done here soon writing it. It's been a while and I've kind of procrastinating because that's one of my big problems. <laughs> uh, good for you. Yeah. yeah. So, but that's, yeah. So that's the goal is to get that done and out of my head. So awesome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for writing. We're looking forward to reading it. Mm-hmm. Hurry up and finish yeah. it so we can read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michelle, thank you for being our heretic of the week. Absolutely. We were honored you. that you now made I'm the truly labeled. That's right. You, you are, are absolutely labeled. a heretic. And you don't like labels. I don't. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you. Say, say, yeah. Thanks, thanks Michelle. Awesome. Well, what a beautiful setup for our topic, which is not just deconstruction, because we talk about, I think, that in different ways almost every podcast. But we specifically wanted to address this idea, this topic of deconstruction, and some of the the dangers of it, the negative effects that it has, uh, as Michelle alluded to, on us emotionally, uh, just our own, you know, emotional, psychological uh, health and life. And also how it affects our, our relationships, our marriages, um, our friendships, uh, our church, and all those kinds of things, and how it really does, uh, you know, it spreads into all of those areas. So we wanted to really just take the time and talk about that. Um, so um, we kind of already talked about, like, the terminology about, like, renovation, reconstruction, or that kind of stuff. Um, I guess what we should do, well, let me, let me do this. I, I actually took the time to draw this out, so I might as well. Show it to you. Keith, Keith's amazing. Like he just. Oh yeah. Sure. She was like working, slaving for like getter. hours so back yeah. there drawing this chart out. I, I used this as my guideline. See, I, did, I think I did a pretty good job of matching that exactly. So if you can't, if you're listening on the podcast, you're thinking, what are they talking about? So uh, what I have here is a chart of the stages of deconstruction, which somebody actually shared on the uh, Heritage Happy Hour Facebook group. And um, we guys have copies here in front of us if you want to refer to it. But it, you know, Michelle referred to it as well. So it is, it does kind of mirror in some ways the stages of grief. But just specifically, I don't even know really who put this together. But we'll, we'll use this as a guide, uh, nonetheless, um, and talk about these this, this process that we go through. So we initially have this idea of uh, an awareness of, oh my gosh, what I thought was true, isn't true, something I believed uh, doesn't seem to be true. Or I have a question, like Michelle was saying, that I can't resolve. Like, I have a question, you know, maybe something in scripture or just maybe even a concept where I'm trying to work it out and no one can help me. And typically when you ask the questions, you get attacked for asking the question. How dare you even question that? Now, are you, are you even a Christian anymore? And, you know, what, what's going on here? And you're kind of like, that, that's when they start to sort of marginalize you, right? You start getting pushed out of the circle now because how dare you ask a question? How dare you doubt something? You know, I, what's going on with you? Um, and so there's these stages where you go through loss and hurt, shock, numbness, denial, emotional outbursts, anger, fear, searching, uh, disorganization, 
panic. Uh, and then the bottom of that is loneliness, guilt, and isolation. Because usually by the time you come all the way through it, you have pretty much alienated a lot of your relationships. Sure. Um, but the, the good thing would be not to stop there. <laughs> like we talked about, it's a process and you need to keep on going, right? The, what is it? The way out is the way through, right? Is that, was that right. the phrase? The only, way out is the only way out is through. So we want to continue. <laughs> I said it, but I'll have to check with Michelle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what Michelle says, Matt said. And so then the good news is from loneliness, everybody, we get to move into depression. Uh, isn't that great? And then reentry uh, troubles, reentry into relationships. But then eventually we do meet other people. We realize we're not the only person in the world who thinks this way and has this doubt and, and has that question. And by some miracle, we connect with another person. We sort of magnetize and we start, we find their orbit and all of a sudden, boom, oh my gosh, you think the way, oh, you think the same thing. You believe, oh, finally, I'm not the only one. And maybe we even find a tribe. We find a group of people who also uh, have the same kinds of uh, doubts or questions. Uh, then we start building new relationships, new strengths, new patterns. Uh, and then we eventually have hope and we receive affirmation. Then we start helping others. And that's a beautiful component. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it now, but I, I think we should talk about that later. Uh, and then eventually we adjust to that loss that we had at the beginning. So anyway, just going through those stages. Um, do you guys want to talk anything about this or you want to maybe share a personal story about what your deconstruction was like? Well, I just think it's good to remember that, like Michelle said, these, these this is not like a, a linear thing, A to B to C right. to D. It's like, so for, for instance, like I, I have, I have depression. I've had depression my whole life. And so, so depression is not like, oh, well, you're, right you, you, well, you, I've always had depression. So it's not like, oh, you get to depression and then you can move past it. So, so the, these things right. are, um, it, it's more of like the overarching theme that mm. we see. And, and when, when Keith's saying this, I, and I haven't studied the grief cycle and all these things, maybe I should, um, you know, all these things have happened, and, but it's not always going to be the same process like we've been harping on for everyone. And you're going to go back and forth and you're going to have to, you're going to have anger outbursts even when you're helping others when you've on that cycle, because it, and this is going back maybe to this this uh, the person who texted us and talking about deconstruction. Yeah, I, I don't know if deconstruction is always the best way to look at it because it's it shouldn't always have to be like we're going to tear the whole thing down. And and I know sometimes we have to, Jamal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like we, we interviewed Brad Jerzak and for him, that wasn't like that. He didn't have to tear down the whole thing. Um, you know, he didn't have to go through that to, to be able to you can deconstruct and reconstruct as you go. Mm -hmm. Something I wish I had known because like, like he says, the minute we ask someone, maybe we get ostracized. Like I personally, I, I asked my, um, my senior pastor, I grew up in a uh, Christian missionary Alliance church. Raise your hand. If you know what that is. Um, if you don't, it's, it's very, uh, at least my church and my um, particular one was very fundamentalist, very um, rapture-based theology. Um, so there's a little bit of fear, just a little bit, just of fear. a little bit. No, I, I and I had a, my one of my good friends was the pastor's kid, um, and so I, I felt comfortable to, to ask this this pastor a question, and it was a question about um, the historical relevance of the doctrine of universalism because I had learned that it was a historically it was an accepted position that that hell might not last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Thank you. You're on it today, my man. You're on it. But but so I asked him about this. And instead of wrestling with the the development of thought in Christendom, the development of theological positions, um, which schools, all this stuff, he just quoted Titus at me that said, people who ask this question go to hell. Oh wow. And it was like <laughs> Is there a verse of Titus that says and, and, people well, go to hell if they ask a question? Basically, like you're condemned. But but I knew his I knew his Motivation. theology behind that. If sure. we're condemned, where the fuck are we condemned to? <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not condemned. That was to your whole question in the first place, right? Right. Exactly. I, I was questioning this this doctrine, right. and he was like, "Well, that the question who the people who question this doctrine, you're causing division. You're causing division by asking." There the you question. go. So I'm a heretic. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, yeah, well, the minute we ask questions, we have this. Pushback, and I'm not already the type of person who can be a little crass and rough around the edges if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, and so that sort of thing triggers me down this, this stage of like, and I was stuck in this, like I was shocked 
and I was pretty pissed off. <laughs> so it's it, and and it's and I, I wouldn't say I was vitriolic toward the church, but that's how it came off because I was in like complete existential crisis mode. Like everything I believed, now I don't believe, and so yeah. what am I left to do with? So for that? you, was the question hell? Was that the first? The first major question that, that led the, you down the path? For me, that was the major question, was eternal torment. Because I, as a kid, I would even imagine myself, what would it be like to be there for a billion years and know that another billion years is coming, and then another billion years? Right. And, and that's kind of fucked up for a yes. seven-year-old For a seven-year-old to be thinking about that. Um, for an yeah. adult, right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. Uh, so that was, my, that was my biggest question. And it's a biggest question for a lot of people, but it's not for everyone. Right. You know, for me... I, I want to touch on this thing of shock, the word shock here, because a lot of people, like shock, when, you, when you hear news of something devastating, you feel shocked. It just, it's natural feeling. You can't get around it. You should feel shocked. Um, I think we talked about this on one of our podcasts, but the idea, some of the things that you guys brought up was like, Jamal, sometimes when you say things, you sound like, it, you sound, like, you sound crazy. <laughs> I didn't say that? in that many no words. No one said but. that. And then when you unpack it, it makes sense. But I, the, the reason I, I want to address this publicly, I do say things like in the beginning, I, I want to say something in a way that sounds crazy because You're doing a good job. I good job. don't, good job. Yeah. the reason, the reason I, I say that is because typically when you come from a grid and you come from a filter, especially in the Christian world, you tend to hear language through your grid and you kind of like make it work. So for example, and I'll use this is a perfect example. In the Christian world, a lot of people will talk, will quote 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away, the new has come. Nobody objects to that. That's all great. People can talk about being a new creation. People can talk about being a new nature. People can talk about being new in Christ. But it le- it's very vague. And let me tell you why it's vague, because it leaves room for the penal substitution idea that you were bad in the beginning, and then Jesus had to come because God didn't like you the way you were in your original nature. God had to kill his son to make you acceptable. Now you have a new nature. That is the Christian understanding. That is a psychologically damaging understanding. I hate that understanding. (laughs) I despise it. I think it causes problems. And so what I do is I want to say, I'm not going to use that language. I'm going to say, I believe in original goodness. Yeah. Because the idea <laughs> well, it's just is, Franciscan. Come because on. the idea is we can talk about new nature. I get it. New, new, your new creation. I get it because you, you have come awake to your true identity and that's a new creation. I get it. But when you use that language in the Christian world, Christians who believe in you are bad, you were depraved in the beginning. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're, you, you're humans learned. have a sin nature yeah, that you were, yeah. you were created and birthed through sin. This is a belief. This is a psychologically damaging belief. And now you're a new creation because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It sounds great. It will mess you up. So I am a firm believer in original goodness. So I will not use the language that gets confused. And that can be shocking. You tell somebody, especially a Christian, you are originally good. There was nothing wrong with your first nature that you needed a second one. What do you do with all the Bible verses? Now I get it, but I, but now we can have a conversation and not an assumption of what I mean. Right. So the shock needs to be there so we can actually, well, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Right. Cause we need to go there. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, can you share a little bit about, I'm assuming you went through a deconstruction process. Yes. You were a, you were a traditional pastor of a traditional church, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and here you are you now. You went to Liberty. Come on now. You went to Liberty <laughs> University. Oh my gosh. So how did you end up here, Jamal? What was the first, just give me the first major piece of deconstruction that sort of sent you on this trajectory. Well, mine was more of an experiential. Um, I, I mean, it's, it was less theological than it was experiential. So it was well, all theological, but I mean, in the, so I'll give you an example. At Liberty University, which is a Southern Baptist university, you know, Jerry Falwell, you know, the whole, yeah. religion, all, whole thing. So they, we had a motto at our university was be a champion for Christ. Do something great for God. And that was what I wanted to do. It's like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to study for the ministry. I'm going to like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make God really proud of me. And so for me, it was all about making God proud, doing good work. So like, um, that was my motivation. But what I didn't realize was the, my conception of God that I had that my religious paradigm um, reinforced to me was 
that God is not happy with you the way you are, that you have to do something to, to, to prove. I wouldn't have said this consciously, but it's like, like that's the idea, that you have to do something really good so that, so that your parents will be proud and God will be proud. Well, my dad had raised me that way. So a lot of times, unintentionally, my dad's a great man. I don't question who he is as a person. But his idea was, hey, you know, you need to like, can you do better? Can you do something good? That kind of thing. Yeah, you have to so earn it. You have to yeah. earn it. You, I want to like, like do something with your life. Yeah. Because you're not okay the way you are. So I remember my dad, I come from, my dad um, has Indian heritage. So he so grew up in East Africa, but originally from India. So in Asian cultures, it's a really big deal that you get good grades. You have good education, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So I remember being in college. I, first time in my life, my dad has been harping on me to get straight A's. You know, in Indian culture, you have to be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Or uh, an engineer. Yeah, a lawyer. So if you're anything else, then that's kind of a failure, you know? And the way you get there is by getting straight A's. So I never really got straight A's. So I remember in college, I got straight A's for the first time. And I remember going home and I showed my dad um, the transcript. And my dad was like, I mean, first time, I, literally, I, I lived out of state. I had to drive seven hours to get home. I literally went home, showed my parents the transcript. And I was like, look, dad, finally, first time in my life, straight A's, what do you think? And I was waiting. I wasn't conscious of this, by the way. It was all unconscious. But I was waiting for his response. And his response to me was, he looked at me, he goes, this is great. And then he was like, but this is the first time that you've gotten straight A's. And I wonder if this is a one-time event uh, or is this something that you can continue? Yeah. Wow. Yep. And I was totally like shocked. Mm-hmm. Devastated. So I remember, like, I didn't even say anything. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go. I walked out of the house, and one of the, and I heard clearly people talk about hearing the voice of God. I actually heard God unsolicited, walked out the door. And what I heard was, You can't please me any more than I'm already pleased. Like, I'm already pleased with you. Mm. I don't need the straight A's. I don't, wow. need, I don't need anything. Oh. Totally pleased with you. And in that moment, when I heard that, it wasn't like I had to rush. It was like, oh, I have been working for you that way. I've been trying to please God the way I've been trying to please my dad. And I didn't realize that I had been doing that. Wow. And then I, it really just put it, it was the part, it was the beginning of like, wait a minute. So my entire Christianity, do something great for God, be a champion for Christ, study yeah. to show yourself approved. Mm-hmm. To show yourself, like prove performance it. based performance, yeah. yeah. And then realized that was my base motivation for most of my life, and it changed the trajectory. It was the beginning of my deconstruction process. Wow, that's an amazing story, man. Um, well, real quick, I'll give you mine, and then we'll move on to the next question because we're we're running out of time. But mine, real quick, was um, my first my first major um, deconstruction event was I was interviewing this friend of mine. His name is Todd Hunter. He's actually uh, an Anglican priest now here at um, in like Newport Beach, Costa Mesa. Uh, but anyway, at the time he wasn't Anglican. He was a vineyard guy. And um, I was interviewing him for Relevant Magazine and uh, was just asking him questions about what's wrong with the church in America today and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so I asked him, what's the, what's the fundamental problem with, the, with the, the church in America? And his answer was that fundamentally Christians don't understand the gospel. They think the gospel is saying a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. And I was a licensed entertained pastor. And when he said that, I was like, I didn't know what to say next because I was like, it's not. <laughs> so again, I'm, but I'm on the phone with the guy and I'm interviewing him for this magazine, right? So I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, of course not. So uh, why don't you expl- go into more detail? Why don't you explain what the gospel is? Unpack that for yeah, me. Yeah, unpack that for me. <laughs> so, you know, then he said, well, you know, the, we find the gospel. Jesus tells us what the good news is in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we call those books the gospels. And in those gospels, Jesus tells us that the good news is that the kingdom of God is open, available right now, and you can experience the rule and reign of, of God in your life this very second. Right it's now. Not, it's not a gospel for the day you die. It's a gospel for your life right now. And I'm telling you, it was just like, and literally, that was like 12 years ago. And, I, and then that was just the first little thread that pulled, and then all of a sudden, I was questioning everything. Uh, and that's how I ended up here. So. Yeah. Anyway, so for all of us, it may be something different, but we still kind of go through, I think, some of these stages, right? And again, not perfectly. We're not going, okay, now it's time to go to emotional outbursts. Um, but, uh, but in general, we, we experience those kinds of things. Um, 
I wanted to ask, so we have some questions here that we wanted to talk about. Specifically, like our, our topic is how this deconstruction process affects uh, our lives, but also our relationships and our connections with other people. So our family members, church members, friendships. Let's talk about that a little bit. And what are some of the, the ways that the, our own deconstruction can impact our relationships with other people? And what does that look like? And is there anything we can do about that? And what do you guys want to talk about that? Well, the initial thought that I have is, is it's kind of, I mean, I think people, first and foremost, I think Christians define, generally, define themselves on what they believe rather than how they live their lives. And I yes. think that's a problem because our beliefs are going to change. And my beliefs from five years ago are not what my beliefs are now. And my beliefs with my wife are not the same thing. So if I define my, if I define my relationship with my wife with our beliefs, we'd get a divorce because we don't agree on everything. So... And that's what, that's what we do in the church. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think um, the minute we question those beliefs is because our beliefs, our relationships are tied up in those beliefs, we experience extreme loss the minute, the minute we question things. And we realize that our relationship was based on a shared belief system rather than actually loving the other person, wow. regardless of anything. Yep. Just actually loving them, being free to love them. Not to plug your book, Jamal. So much read a book. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and 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 I, I think that need that needs to change in 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 Christendom. It has to be. And, and my buddy Dan Weisong, um, who lives up in Chico, he's a pastor, and I, I had him write a blog for my my Pathos blog, and he was talking about the same thing. Our beliefs, our beliefs need to be secondary to people because we are seriously messing things up <laughs> interpersonally because we take beliefs so seriously. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's been, you know, the, the hardest thing for me. And if I, what was the question again? Well, I no, got rambling. No, no, you're I answering got, it. I got rambling. You're answering it. I, 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 so, I had something else to say though. But about how it affects our relationships. Did you have like a specific relationship or friendship that was uh, affected out of your deconstruction or? Well, yeah, basically all of them. Okay. Um, my family's super cool. My my dad was raised Catholic, and so was my mom, and then they became Protestants. So they have at least experienced a change where they could see. they, so don't they had their own deconstruction. They, in, in a way. Yeah. And they would still look at me and be like, Matt, I don't know about that. Um, they would still disagree with me. My, my wife's family has been complete. That's been the hardest part. But, yeah. but people are operating out of a place of fear. They honestly... And, and and some some terrible things have been said about me from you know family on especially my wife's side. Um, they don't listen, so don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but they're operating when I when I step back. They're operating from a place of fear. They honestly they honestly I think do care about me in a way, and do care about you know my family and your eternal soul. But and my eternal soul, and that's yes. the thing is that they're so afraid because if I don't get it right, if I don't share their beliefs. Identity is wrapped up in those beliefs, and so is our eternal soul. Right. So we have to get things right. And so when, we're op when we have a fear-based religion, we're going to act yeah. accordingly. And, and we don't do the best of things when we're acting out of fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to—we've I wanna, talked before the, the podcast. Tell me your name again. Clara, Ben? ben? Okay, so Clara and Ben, we were talking, and— she mentioned, uh, was a former pastor, of yeah. Ed Bacon, is that his name? Ed Bacon. Ed Bacon. So Ed Bacon's this guy who... Ooh, Bacon. Um, <laughs> but he made this statement. I want to repeat it because I think it's worth bearing that he was encouraging people on their process of deconstruction of saying, don't get comfortable here because you're just passing through. And so like, I just feel like that needs to be said because what happens is you, because of our need for certainty, we want to like, okay, I deconstructed. Now this is where it's at. But no. Don't get comfortable. You're passing through. That means the deconstruction you had is continuing. It's not, you haven't arrived. It never stops. It never stops. Right. So if you build relationships, think about your life. I mean, people talk about, especially, let's bring up romantic or marital relationships. They say, well, you don't want to be unequally yoked. Okay, that's the scripture, unequally yoked. If, and here's the thing, that's a valid, that's a valid concern. You don't want to be unequally yoked. If you've ever been in a relationship where you've been unequally yoked, it's not fun. But the key to not being unequally yoked is stop basing, exactly what you said, Matt, yeah. stop basing your relationships on beliefs. Right. Because if you build your relationship upon beliefs, 
you cannot change and you cannot grow, you cannot morph because for you to change your belief, and this is true in church communities. How many times you see people in tight-knit communities, church communities, people love each other. They, they're so close. And then somebody begins to have an evolution of thought. They begin to change their thinking, their belief systems. And all of a sudden, somebody's the heretic. Right. Somebody needs to be not talked to. Somebody needs to be cautioned about. You can't talk to this person because they're dangerous. This happens. And then you can't evolve or move beyond where you're at because you've based your entire belief system, your relationship on a, on a static belief. Yeah. So the key is like, I feel like it's really important to like, not get, not to like, if you have a baby, if you have a child, you don't go, I'm going to love you as long as you believe a certain thing. You don't, the baby is born, the baby doesn't believe anything. <laughs> And you love that baby and you have a relationship with that baby. That, that which transcends the belief is what's real and unchanging, which yeah. is love. Mm. And if you cannot love another person that has different beliefs than you, you don't love them. Yep. It's just that simple. So love can appreciate a person, even admire a person, and even seek to understand that person, even if you disagree with them. Yeah, that's right. So... That to me is if you don't want to be unequally yoked, stop building your relationships around beliefs. They're going to change yeah. and they ought to change. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're, if you're listening at home and you're playing the drinking game, take a shot because um, I'm going to talk about my house church because um, this, is, this is something that, so I've been doing this house church thing for about 11 years now or so. And um, early on, when we were just starting out, somebody said something about, you know, we, we need a statement of faith. You know, we need, we need, and, and in the beginning, I was like, oh yeah, we, we need, we need that wood. What should it be? And I was like, should we use like the Apostles' Creed? Or I was starting to do this research. And I thank God for this because one of the brothers in the house church at the time, his name is Brent, great guy. He just said, um, I got a better idea. Why don't we just say this is our statement of faith? And um, we don't, he goes, because here's the thing. He goes, anytime church throughout history has ever tried to bring unity by having a, a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith, instead of bringing unity, it brings division every single time. And then what he said was, he's like, Keith, you know, let's say you come up with this doctrinal statement. Well, and, and maybe you even, we can even come up with a, a doctrinal statement of what we in this house church right now, those of us who are here now, we believe and agree on whatever these things are. But what you're doing, what you're saying is, let's say someone new comes in and they, and they disagree with one or, the, or two of those things, what are you saying to them? We don't want you, right? And so I was like, well, no, I don't want to do that. So that is, that is essentially what we did. We actually ended up having no statement of faith whatsoever, which just sounds kind of crazy. But here's the beautiful thing. Because we didn't have a unity based on doctrines, our unity wasn't based on beliefs, an agreement on mm -hmm. doctrines, an agreement on beliefs. What is our unity built around? Christ. The only reason we're there is we all love Christ. We love him so much. He's our center. He's our focus. The reason we come together is not, we, and here's the thing, when we come together, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about doctrines, we don't talk about all this, we don't care about, we don't care about it. Uh, we actually all have very different personal theological beliefs, and by the way, all those theological beliefs are also individually in flux, right? They're right. changing, like all of us. And so we're not holding anybody down to a certain set of beliefs and we're they're free to grow and learn and change and develop right in whatever love. direction and whatever you know <laughs> pacing they want to so our um our unity is in christ and by the way that's what paul says in galatians he says we are all one in christ jesus and can i say this about christ yeah i don't want to cut you off. sure go ahead the, say something about christ my understanding of the term christ is it's the reality of love because if you are in a relationship with somebody who doesn't believe in the traditional Jesus of Christianity, can you still have a relationship with them? And can you still be in love with them? And can you still connect with them? And I would say yes, because if you're both touching the essence of love internally, dwelling, that is, what is God? And God, God is, is love. love. Yeah. And so whether you have the correct phrase, you know, terminology or phrasing around that, if you can touch love, like for example, we did an interview. We haven't aired this yet. We're going to air it, but with the cat out of the bag, we did an interview with uh, Rachel Held Evans. Yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, she's like, you know, doing a lot of beautiful things in um, an evangelical Christianity in the conversation. But she talked a little bit about her, her relationship with her, her spouse. And her husband, you know, her husband was a pastor, I think, years ago. He now calls himself an agnostic, which is a pretty shocking thing. Most marriages would end over that. She said, I said, how does that affect your relationship? She's like, it doesn't. It's great. 
He can be where he's at. I'm where I'm at. I still love him. He still loves me. We allow each other to be where we are because ultimately, isn't that, isn't that what it's about? Mm -hmm. It's about this. If, if the, the essence of love that you're touching doesn't allow you to accept another person, then what good is your theology? Because isn't the whole essence of the gospel that God is with you, Emmanuel, that God accepts you, that God loves you, that God, that God has on your worst day come to you and accepted you. Like, it's not like you had to get your theology right. Right. Yeah. But Jesus bases the entire thing on love God, love others. And his, his, his one command that he gives to us is love one another as I have loved you, which is if you start making a list of what are the ways we've been loved, uh, by God, it's pretty astounding. So, uh, yeah, the love definitely needs to be our, 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 our grounding and, and not based on agreement, not based on, because uh, here's the other thing. To me, this is the good thing about deconstruction. I think there's a good thing about it. We talk about all the, the pain, and, and it is difficult, and it is, it is painful, and it does lead to isolation and loneliness and anxiety and all these other things. Um, but once you, once you start coming out the other side of it, um, the beautiful thing is that, for me anyway, uh, it's taught me to have grace for other people who believe now things that I believed five years ago or 10 years ago. Because now when I see them and I, I realize, oh, they believe that, I don't believe that anymore, but I used to. And I know exactly why they believe it. I used to believe it for the same reasons that they believe it. And so it gives me grace for them, right? They're worthy of love. Wasn't I worthy of love five years ago when I believed this? Of course I was. So, you know, it gives me grace for them uh, and I don't have to agree with them and I can have grace for them. Uh, so you get to practice a lot of forgiveness and a lot of mercy but, oh, my gosh, that's part of what it means yeah. to, to follow Christ. Right? And, you know, I, the way I know that we're making progress is because when I used to, I used to be, a, like, a very hardcore Calvinist tulip, you wow. know, like, the whole deal. I bought into that huge. And so, like, the idea is when I was a Calvinist, I only had Calvinist close friends. Of course. And then when I became, got touched into more of the. the it was the, predestined that way. Yeah, well, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, then I started to deconstruct. <laughs> then I got more into the, you know, more of the. You know, more charismatic circles, and then I all my friends were charismatic, and mm-hmm. that that you kind of see likeness. You know, it's kind of like the sameness. But the, but now, what I find myself, and I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm just observing this about myself. Now it's like I have people that I'm in relationship with that are Calvinists, hmm. and I totally despise Calvinists. <laughs> but it doesn't affect my relationship but you with love them. them. I love them. But like I'm enamored them. with them. I'll, I'll talk to them all day. I don't even care. I don't even care if they believe what I believe. Right. I'm like, if that works for you, fine. I mean, it doesn't work. But if you think it works, if you think it works for you, then that's great. Go for it. You do but you, it's the boo. Same, it's the same thing. It's like, wait a minute. I don't need people to change their beliefs to love them and accept them. That's right. That's a revolutionary right. idea. Yeah. That you can actually see somebody love them and accept them wherever they are, whatever they believe, and you can dialogue with them. If they're open to dialogue, then great. If not, you can still admire them. Yeah. And what I love too, by the way, just to give a plug for the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, we, we're modeling that almost every time we get together, right? Because we don't agree on everything. We don't. And, right. and we, but we don't disagree in, in, in with like, oh, you idiot, you're stupid. Like we don't, it never becomes personal because like Matt said, my beliefs are not me. I'm not my beliefs. Right. My beliefs are separate, right? And so I, I, it's okay if, if, if one of us says something and I go, oh, I don't agree with that. That's okay. And I don't right? even need to tell you that exactly. I disagree. We don't it even can have just, to bring it up. Like, it's not tacit agreement just because I, we don't critique each other. Yeah, like, that confuses people sometimes. You, like, guys don't it does. Share, you guys don't believe in Mary Magdalene. I believe she existed. I believe she existed. <laughs> but not the, way, not the way you do. No, I don't. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by believe. I'm not sure anybody yeah. does the way you do, but yeah. <laughs> But it, but it's but it's true because our our relationship is, and it's like if Jamal says something that I think is off, I may say that my view is different, or the conversation or might move on. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like unless it's harmful against other people, unless it's coercive, unless it's unloving, it it fucking doesn't matter. Like yeah. I don't have to. Like I I think that's where we when we get tied up to. I am my beliefs. That, I mean, that's like an ego. We we feel like it's our ego that needs to defend those things, and, and, and which just tells me that you're kind of insecure, right? Like, I, I don't give a shit that Calvinists <laughs> don't agree with me, right? And I don't give a shit that that I, I'm too like I read too much Carl Bart and they hate Carl Bart. I don't need to shove Bart down their throat and be like, "Well, you're wrong." Bart proved it, right? I don't care. Like it has nothing to do with who you are as a person. If that, if that means something to you, then maybe we can't have a relationship because 
you're not going to like me. I mean, and, and I'll let you decide that for yourourselves. And most of them do decide that for themselves. And they're like, well, peace out, homie. <laughs> but yeah. I don't need that. Like, like I said, if my wife and I had to have the same beliefs to be, be married, be I would not be married. And I love my wife dearly and she loves me dearly. But <laughs> thank God we've, we're at a place where we're like, we don't need to agree. We, we, we need to love. We need to be free to love. Right. And there's another. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're, we're coming yeah. up at the end of the hour here. So uh, we will we'll wrap this one up. But stick around. We're going to have a Q&A at the end. Thank yeah, you guys eat so more much. Pizza. Yeah, eat more pizza and donuts if there's any left. Thank you guys so much for joining us for uh, the live, the third, the first time we've ever done the third live right. heretic. The completion oh, yeah. of the trilogy. That's right. All right. Thank you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>